everybody. Welcome to another episode of the First Gear Podcast. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Eric. I'm here with my buddy Tanner. And Tanner, you brought on another guest this week. What's up, man? Hey, not a whole lot. Uh, trying to fight uh, the cold weather up here in Iowa, and I'm sure you're getting it down there in St. Louis. But yeah, I uh, got a dirt track legend from right here in Lisbon, Iowa with us tonight. And uh, his name is Ryan Dolan. They call him Flying Ryan Dolan. Um, Ryan, I really <laughs> appreciate you taking time out of your night to uh, come talk with us. And hopefully we can learn a little bit more about your career, maybe a little bit about your dad. And I think this is going to be cool. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we uh you got quite the quite the background. Uh one of the one of the most well-known last names in uh Iowa dirt track history, so hopefully we can unpack like 50 plus years worth of some info <laughs> here tonight and learn a little bit more about you. So, yeah, for sure. So, I raced myself for 35 to 40 years and uh I started racing motocross in 79 and and didn't quit until just a couple years ago. Uh, so, you know, I had a long span, and and uh, that doesn't count. Just going with Dad from 66, 1966, until, you know, I started racing cars in 85. Yeah, that's a, that's a long time. I kind of forgot that you raced a little bit of motocross, too. That seems to be pretty common around here. Everyone around here that races yeah. stock cars has a little bit of motocross history. So yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Johnny and Johnny Spawn, Dan Albright, and there's others too. But those those two, we really were tight in the motocross around here in the early 80s. Yeah. So uh, unfortunately, I would love to have Roger on here, but due to his health issues that we weren't able to make that happen. But uh I'd like to learn a little bit more about Roger. He, uh, man, he is an absolute legend of the sport here in Iowa and in the Midwest. Um, yep. Do you have any idea when he started racing? Well, he's he kind of, where they lived out in the country, down by Coon Creek, which is east of Sutliff, uh, they had to walk to school, and, and my, my dad had a, heart murmur he had rheumatic fever or something when he was a kid so so grandpa dolan got him a little uh scooter so he could ride that to school and uh that's when it started you know and we've got some pictures of him and cyborg on this little mini bike thing and this would have been you know in the 40s the late 40s or whatever and, uh, you know, so then he went on from that little thing to Indian motorcycles and Harleys, and they did what was called hare and hound or hare scrambles. Okay. And, and he scared the neighbors down there because he would go by so fast on, <laughs> on a motorcycle on the gravel and, and broadside around the turns and stuff. And so he had a reputation of being you know, a daredevil on the gravel road on an Indian motorcycle. So then he was, he started, he went from these hare and hounds or hare scramble things to started to do the flat track. And uh, he was doing on a Harley or 
Indian or whatever it was, but his friend, uh, Bob Sorensen, was injured and paralyzed, and he carried the number one Harley plate. And they offered that bike, that ride to my dad, the number one ride from Harley, and he turned it down because it was too dangerous. And he saw his friend be paralyzed, and and uh, it just was, he had to make a decision. So he started to do cars at that point. And I think, you know, he was married then, and, and he never raced motorcycles you know, professionally like that when I was alive. But he had to make a choice, so he started racing cars in in 64, 65, 66, whatever. And and from then on, uh, he he was the the man in the race car, you know, around here in Tipton and Marshalltown and wherever wherever there was a race. But uh you know, the old coops and stuff like yep. that. So he he did that, and and he actually raced with Benny Jameson in that era. You know, all Dave Albright, all the guys right here in Lisbon, Bill Beckman, who just was inducted into the Iowa Late Model Hall of Fame. I saw that. That's awesome. And And they all were racing, you know, in the late 60s. And well, you know, from from the mid '60s all the way till Dad retired in like '92. But even when I ran ran motocross in in the '80s, Dad would get on a motorcycle and run in the old man class, and he, you know, whatever. He was forty. <laughs> I would like to be forty again. That's not old. Uh, but he was good at that too, you know. Yeah. Uh... Uh, I mean, everybody around here knows who Roger Dolan was. Um, yeah. I wish I could have been alive to see him race, just hearing all the stories and just, he was so dominant in everything he did, which was incredible. Uh, when did, uh, when did the Roger Dolan and Larry Eckridge dynamic duo, when did that start? Do you have any idea? Uh, yeah, that, that was in like 85, 86, um, Dad won, I think they won the Central NASCAR Central Region in 86 or got second or something like that. Uh, but that, when when they had that NASCAR was the place to run in, in the dirt up here, he won the national championship with Larry Eckery in 87. So I think he got second in 86 to Tom Hurst or one of the Kosiskis or somebody, but, uh, you know, in 87, I think dad won 33 features over, over that year, which was a record then. Wow. And, uh, it just seemed like, you know, every time they ran, they, they won, but they probably raced 80 times that year that the structure of the points then was, you just raced all the time. Mm-hmm. And they'd go to Kansas City and Holt Summit, Missouri and, and Quincy, Illinois a lot. And and it wasn't like they were just going down to chase points. They went down there and won. You know, and and if it rained out up here, they'd drive that old yellow truck and trailer or Eckery's 
100 miles an hour <laughs> to get there. That's awesome. And they and my dad told stories of, of being in that trailer thinking he wasn't going to get to the racetrack alive <laughs> and uh, that they would just drive, you know, uh, the guys on the pit crew did a phenomenal job to get them to the racetrack, you know, that was six hours away when they were late to begin with. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. yeah so is... they don't do it that way anymore. <laughs> no, no. No. Some of the old stories from guys back in the day just kind of blows my mind with what they would do. Like, they don't do that kind of stuff anymore at all. They don't basically ride the back of a u-haul or whatever they got to do you know to get down to the racetrack that's one of the cool stories that your dad was kind of talking about last week too was just what they did with every whatever it took like whatever it takes we got to get down to the track there was no we're not getting there it was a matter of okay we'll figure it out yeah yeah uh you know you always heard stories of of some guy be staying on the trailer you know an open trailer and working on the engine as they were right going down the road and changing the rocker arms or the rear end gear doing something you know and then just lay on the on the bed of the trailer as they were driving down the road uh, to freeport illinois or something like that so you know you don't i i believe that that did happen i i don't think that it's all bs or you know making stories up because uh you know even when we raced we did things to get to the racetrack that you thought back on it is just why'd you you know do it do that just stay home but man you're driven (laughs) you're driven to do it so so you and you're you're committed to do it and that's all you do so uh i i truly believe that most of the stories are true I mean, oh, I yeah. have a hard time believing that they're not. <laughs> like, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, if it's like one guy that's telling a fishing story, you can usually kind of tell that his buddy's right. like, "Yeah, sure, whatever." <laughs> we don't really buy that, but it's every racer that I've talked to from like back in the day. They all have the same story. Yeah, we just did whatever it took. Like Mike tell me stories about that kind of stuff working on the race truck too. It was really cool to hear just the grit and the grind that got everybody down to the track. Right, Dad. You know that old. Everybody knows about Eckery's old yellow crew cab truck, and Dad would say that you know once you got to the racetrack, then Larry would have to change the water pump on the on the pickup, you know, in order for him to get home. Along with all the stuff they did to the race car, and there was a lot of screaming and hollering and and you know throwing tools around and trying to get it done you know and i know there's one story with my dad and i uh that was is similar to that which which points to the all the stories that he did was true too it, you know it was 3 30 on the afternoon of friday night and we were going to go to farley and we uh started the modified up in the garage and it ran for about two minutes and blew up right right in the garage. It just made the squeaking sound and just stopped. Oh, man. Oh, and no. and we all looked at each other, and it was like, well, you know, that sucks. You know, now we're, you know, we got to leave in two hours, you know, to get to the racetrack or not even that, you know. <laughs> so we had a short block sitting in the 
shop and we pulled the motor put you know took the heads and off the one that just blew up in the <laughs> in the car and we threw it together and and as we were uh tying the the race car down my dad was putting the push rods in into the uh you know down through the heads into the valley and and once we got to Farley, we were, of course, we were late, and and he didn't get them all. They didn't all get in down into the, uh, you know, down and through and into the top of the tappet or whatever you call it. Yep. And uh, I ran the heat race. You know, I was down about two cylinders, but but got qualified and everything. And then some something happened. Somebody ran into the light post or or something, and the and the electricity blew out on on the uh, uh, at the track, and the lights went out, and there was no fixing it. So we were done, you know. But we were there. We made it, and so we were in the show for the double features for the next week, you know. And that's just how you did it. And and everybody's got a story like that, you know, going off to the racetrack half cocked and it all turns out okay you know yeah i mean we i have several stories like that myself of when we would we would just barely get the car running and then by the time we get to the track we're like all right i think it's going to be ready and then we go out for hot laps we're like oh man it is not quite there yet then you just keep working (laughs) on it and then next thing you know it ends up being like the best run of the year for you it's crazy how that stuff works yeah it i think you when you everybody has this positive energy you know that they're not giving up and never say die and and in the end it it pays off you know there's a payoff to that all that sweat and hard work and frustration and that's what racing's all about i think is to overcome this relationship with the mechanical you know beast that you gotta <laughs> right. keep everything right. <laughs> tightened up and and running right or you're out to lunch and and if you don't put in the sacrifice and all the time and and lay in bed and think about it all the time you 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 know you're not gonna succeed and and you got to pick yourself up from the bad nights and keep on going yeah. so yeah um so you said Roger ended up hanging it up and you said 94? 92, or I 92. think. Or yeah. 92. What was the decision oh, wow. for him to quit racing? Because you were getting more involved or what was his decision, eh, do you think? He was he was in his 50s then. Okay. And so he he was tired of it, you know, just like everybody else gets tired of the rigmarole. That's why I kind of stepped away is because you know, just getting to the track and having to not stop working and get to the track and stand around till midnight. And, and it just seemed like it, some of the fun was gone. And I know that's what he felt too. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, he would rather just go and watch me race. And, and I drove mom and dad to the racetrack and stuff. So we, we had, you know, that was a good, family time and and we'd talk about it it's not like he totally quit you know he right. was still, still like involved. watching me and we'd talk about every everything and he'd videotape it and we'd watch it 
you know, together two or three times during the week, you know, just to analyze what was going on. So, you know, he he wasn't ready for me to step away either. You know, he right. he, he would have liked to continue to go to the races and stuff, but, you know, I was to that point where I had to stop too for my sanity. Right. Uh, you know, so, and I had other things going on, so. Uh, you know, if I could just somehow magically be in the driver's seat ready to go out on the racetrack for the race, that'd be great. <laughs> it's, <laughs> <Right>. the, <laughs> it's the hours and hours of racing and looking at the weather radar and and worrying about what time you have to leave and what's going on tomorrow. And, uh, you know, it just it just gets on your eats at you so yeah i mean there's just so many different elements to the sport of racing that most people don't even know about and like you just said i mean i talked last week with the episode with my dad that that night that i had my bad wreck last year we waited around probably three or four hours just contacting the promoter nonstop, being like hey you still having it you, you still gonna run what's the weather look like and then like probably two and a half hours or so after we originally wanted to leave, they finally said, yeah, we're going to have the race. So then that's when we finally decided to make the trek over. And obviously we had a bunch of issues on the way there. We barely got there. And then in hot laps, the wreck happened. But uh, I mean, it's just stuff like that, that people don't know about. It's obviously when the weather's really good, it's pretty simple. You just get your car ready, you yeah. load up, you go to the track and you race. Well then when obviously asphalt racing too you got to worry about the rain but mm. especially on dirt track racing if it's even questionable i mean everybody starts questioning it and you're like man i, I don't know if we should go like are they going to have it is it going to yep. miss i mean it's just stuff like that that people don't think about and it it can it can wear on you especially if you're running a lot of races a year right right yeah uh it, it's frustrating to look at the radar and the you know the rain line is you know, a half an hour from the racetrack and, and they're still saying the races are on and you're saying, well, have you looked at the radar and they, and they say, well, it's not raining now. <laughs> well, yeah, but you know, you're going to get everybody there and, and you know, that's very frustrating, but I'm not a promoter. I never, you know, had the, you know, the money on the line for a race. If it was up to me, right. you know, if it looked to me like there was any chance of rain, I'd, called off so we all didn't have to drive two hours you know right but but that's yeah. hard that there's a different point of view from a promoter's point but I, I wanted to say you know all the rain outs and all the you know late nights that you did uh you know when everybody's standing around at the racetrack talking and and you're able to to say Oh yeah, I was there at the Yankee at Hawkeye Downs in in '87 when it rained out, and then we ran the next Sunday. You know, you, the payoff is that yep. you were there, right? Uh, despite how stupid you everybody was to be there at four <laughs> o'clock in the morning, you were there, so you you could you can be one of the guys, you know. And there's a lot of those, you know, tales that come up that you know you can say, yeah, I was there. I was there the night they knocked the lights down three times at Davenport, <laughs> you know, and, and put generators up around the light pole. 
and the same guy that knocked the lights out the first time crashed in and knocked all the generators out. <laughs> and, and, you know, I was there. You know, it, it about turned into a riot. Uh, and that, it's fun to know that I was there, and it, it was just a complete fiasco, you know, of how could this be happening, you know. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, yeah, I think all racers kind of have a story like that. I can remember a couple Liberty 100s that were that way. We would get the first night in, and then the second night, you're just kind of waiting around. It rain all day, and then, all right, we're going to call it, and then we'll try it again on Sunday or something like that. But, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I remember that a couple times happening. It, mm-hmm. it seemed like the Yankee had that happen numerous times, or, or you were running the heats at 2 in the morning or something, which... <laughs> is unusual up here but if you go down south the way they do it down south they do that every night that hammond kid was in south carolina and he said my god they'd run till four in the morning every night that's how they wanted it if they if they didn't run till four in the morning the fans were upset so you know (laughs) wow uh, i wouldn't like that (laughs) no well, and I see uh, Johnny just made a post. They loaded his car up in Vegas at 4.30 in the morning. Yes, I know it. So he had That's to run crazy. like a 100-lap feature at like 2.30, 3 o'clock yeah. in the morning. Right. <laughs> that's crazy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's, very, that's a very hard thing to do is to be standing around and, you know, you'd say, well, I'm going to lay down in the truck or in the trailer and try to get some sleep. Because you know it's a it's going to take forever, and they've got too many classes and spin outs all the time, you know. Yep. So there, so you know, you gotta you gotta hand it to to every racer that gets out there that can would normally be at home asleep can get out there on the racetrack and focus and yep. be fast and and uh, you know on top of his game at three o'clock in the morning. You know, I, I'd, you know, any other sport, you know, they wouldn't have wrestling down at University of Iowa at three o'clock in the morning. No, you know, no. So no, and happen. I, uh, I vividly remember one time we were racing carts down in Newton. I think it was, I don't remember if it was a big regional race or just some big special race. I don't remember, but there was just so many classes, and I think it rained a little bit before it started, so it started late. And I actually, I was running like four or five classes, which was just insane, but I was a little kid, so Mm -hmm. it wasn't that big a deal, but I actually slept on the ramp of the trailer for maybe an hour while dad was getting my junior sprint ready. And when I got up and he pushed me up to staging, the sun was coming up. So it was like five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There was a big late model race at Knoxville, Iowa. in the seventies, the NDRA or, you know, series, which isn't anymore, but we didn't get out of there till four in the morning. And <laughs> that was pretty bad. It was cold and wet. Oh, we yeah. were in the car. That's so nice. lots of I mean, that. That stuff. sounds like truck and tractor pullers are kind of the same way. <laughs> I know that's like way off base, but I've been to a bunch of them so far this year and the fans legitimately get upset. Like if they're not running till like three, four o'clock in the morning, <laughs> making pulls and doing runs, 
like, man, that ended too short, or they didn't do that long enough, or what the heck, or I want my money back, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, that's the uh, power of the fans of, of racing and, you know, tractor yeah. pulling and any of that. You know, they're they're it's, wanting to see it happen. Oh, so, yeah. You know, there's a, a, a market for that. You know, you watch all these big races on World 100 and stuff, you know, and I I rent the pay per view or something, and I can't stay awake. And they're still <laughs> trying to race at two o'clock in the morning, and and I'm I'm going to bed. But the people there, they're they're loving it. Yep, you know? they're all about it. Yeah, that's crazy, man. So I'm kind of curious, actually. What what series or what kind of cars did you run? Well, mostly I you know I start went from motocross into what they called bombers at time and we ran these enduros with basically a street car with just a one roll bar in it and uh, oh wow and we'd run 250 laps or two hours or something and so i i ran one summer we ran a whole bunch of those and i won like three and they paid a thousand to win and and we you know they'd have them on county fairs and stuff like that and so that's that was really legitimately where I started racing cars was in that and then at Hawkeye Downs Al Frieden was the promoter and we had these mini enduros where they'd run 15 laps or 15 minutes (laughs) and if there was cars upside down on the track (laughs) as long as nothing was on fire they just kept going and it was quite a spectacle and that we would start 45 cars, three abreast, you know, from a standing start. And and that's what we did in, in the beginning. And then it evolved to be the bomber class. And in 86, then I changed. I kind of ran bomber and modified a, a few modifieds. And, man, let me tell you, they were they were undrivable at, at that time. <laughs> they were really uh, loose and and spin out class people didn't really like it to begin with uh they're nothing it was nothing like what it is now you know now they're just a tamed down late model and uh uh so i did that you know and i i think i won my first feature in in a modified in 87 and in a car i'd never drove before i just and and there again the driver just started with his point, so I started on the front row, and I won this, won the feature in a car I'd never been in before, and so I drove for that guy for a while, and and just kept working my way up, and I had my own car for a while, and I think I, uh, I might have ran my first late model in '88 or '89 or something like that, and the mm-hmm. the first late model race I ran, I made the Bush Tour race at West Liberty, which was a good, you know, you had to make the race. There was 40 cars there, so. Right. Uh, so, you know, I I had a, you know, in the 80s and the 90s, I ran both classes all the time. I did that way up, you know, until the 2002 or something like that. So uh, I'd run over at Freeport and. Dubuque and run two cars owned by two different, you know, groups of guys. And 
and had a lot of fun. I, I raced a lot. You know, we ran, we ran 60 nights a year, and, and I raced two cars a night. You know, I, I had a lot of seat time, so it, it didn't. That's wild. Yeah. It, I, it, <laughs> and it was all, you know, I raced at Freeport, Illinois, Farley, and Dubuque. You know, everywhere, the, the Bush Tour races and, you know, every we'd race everywhere. So, had a lot of, had a lot of fun. Metal, had a lot of people that I raced for, you know, and and a lot of them are still at it, you know, lo- longer than I, I did it. So, <laughs> yeah. I got to give them a hand. So. Yeah, and Eric, I don't know if you caught on to that when he was talking about the bomber class. That's the same class that Dad talked about last week on the show that his buddy yeah. Dale Stoldy got into and yeah. whatever that was, the late 80s or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, those things would have been fun. Like, that sounds like a fun class to run. It it was. I mean, basically, you, one car, I had a like a 69 Buick Skylark that uh, – me and another guy were driving on the gravel road and the and the drive shaft fell out of it and so we got it back home and into the shop and and this was wednesday night and on friday night i raced it at hawkeye downs and uh what the heck yeah (laughs) i mean we just broke the windows out of it and 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 put this rinky dink uh uh roll bar in it and that is so cool it's like drive shaft broke screw it it's a race car yeah that's right (laughs) once we pulled it in and and looked underneath it you know we decided this thing was going to the racetrack and and the guy that uh, sold it to me you know he was proud proud of that thing because it was had two hundred twenty five thousand miles on it and when he found out that I raced it, I think he about had a stroke. But then he he liked it. He he liked it because I won. You know, would win with it, and and uh, he wasn't mad about it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Trophies change a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was that's a fun memory. I've I've got some pictures of that thing. Uh, I stuffed it in the in the fence eventually, and and killed it. It was no. Oh. No, no longer race a, a race car. So, anyway, Man. that that's what that's happens back. to all, all race cars. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, that's kind of that's just an awesome story. That's back in the day when you could literally, like what you said, something breaks and you're like, you know what? I want to race this this weekend. You just go take it out. Yeah, People, the, you don't really get that anymore with all the safety regulations and stuff that we have now. But like, that's yeah. just too cool. Yeah, and. The radio still worked, you know, in it, and and there would be guys out on the track, and their taillights still worked, you know. It, it was it was uh, unbelievable. Uh, I I would think that somebody has videotape of of this Hawkeye Down saying that they we'd start forty five cars on a dead start, and and I mean it was just mayhem. So, but it was fun, sure. But I mean, just look at all the talented drivers that came out of that eventually. Mm-hmm. Like you started there, and Dale Stoldy, he, I mean, he's been a family friend of ours, and he's helped me out yeah. a lot forever. But he was a damn good driver too, and yeah. he started there. Yeah. And 
it was there's a lot of guys that that's where they cut their teeth and they turn into amazing race car drivers yeah right that's exactly right you got to start kind of at the bottom of i see you know a lot of guys you know nowadays uh, there seems to be so much more money around and uh, and the person starts out in a late model you know and it's like oh man that's that's just too fast to start you know out in right uh, and their the learning curve is insurmountable you can't can't do it so you know that's that was my dad's you know thought was you know to start in the you know start and work your way up you know basically right. until they run you out of the class you know because <laughs> you're winning too yeah. much you're you're not ready to move up so right that, that's how we did it so you said you ran modifieds and late models together until like the early 2000s would that be around the time you started driving for benny and terry yeah yes i think we started in the early 2000s and it's a shame that i don't remember but you know all the years run together so right. uh, yeah. and and then when i ran for terry you know he was they what we had the outlaw or the a mods and then there was the imca mods then i ran for this you know a couple different owners uh and i would run the modified imca type and the and then the outlaw modified on the same night and that was that was good you know i mean as long as you're there you just well race right and yeah uh, so when i ran the mod and the late model for the guys over in illinois we won both the points championship in both the mod and the late model over there i almost did it at at farley and and dubuque but I think Gary Webb or Bowley, you know, was the competition, and and they won the the late model part. I I'd always win the modified part of it, but they'd win. But I finally did pull that uh, off at West Liberty for a late model and modified it at Liberty, and then I think Kai had done it not too long ago. So, yeah. so we did a lot of races. Man, I- just out of curiosity, what was your, you ran for a lot of years. What was your favorite win or the most, the win that you remember the most and why? Oh, I would probably say, uh, I don't know, there's a couple. It was fun to win the Deary Show out at, at Des Moines on that historic track out there. And the, the grandstands were packed, you know, and the fairs going on and everything. That was a that was a good win for everybody involved just not me and my family but Drolly and the Becklers and everybody mm-hmm. that was involved in that that was a big win uh in 96 I won a, a USMTS race down in Burlington that paid 12,000 to win and and you know that was a national thing you know everybody was there I think everybody that had a late model and modified that was the first big pay-in race, and and they were all there. There was like a hundred twenty cars there, and 
and so we came away with that one. That was a big, big win. But you know, there there's a lot of wins that didn't pay a lot, and and were just regular nights. You know, where you where you started in the back and won. You know, at Tipton or something, just on mm-hmm. a regular night. That if you if you really sat down and went back through it, you know, those were good memories too. Uh, I I won a race one time where we broke in Terry's car. And I drove Dan Albright's car, and and I never had been in that thing before. And I started in the back, and I won it, you know. And that was an amazing race, and and I think I remember that one. Yeah, yeah, you know, it just it was like it just happened. So uh, there's a lot of them, you know. There's even even heat wins, you know, that you thought. How did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I hear you. Uh, there was just a regular race, a regular weekend race at West Liberty where uh, going into the turn three and four, I was third. And I can't remember who the two guys were in front, but I, when I came out of four, I was in the lead and I won the thing, you know, and it, and I had no chance. You know, when the, when we got the white flag, there was no chance. But I, I bailed in on top, and somehow it stuck. And and those guys, you know, must have yep. had ran into each other or something, and I, and I won the thing. Uh, yeah, so, the, you know, awesome. to go back over 35 years of racing, there's a lot of amazing wins. But I can also tell you that there was coming out of four, and I was leading, and I didn't win. I've, I've got a lot right. of those stories too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That are hard to talk about. And I even tried to grind Tom Hurst into the fence a couple times because he was always the one passing me on the last lap. And I tried to stuff him in the fence, but he was too <laughs> cagey of a veteran to get stuffed in the fence by me. And, and he, he didn't care. You know, he knew I was going to try to, grind him into the wall and he didn't care i i crashed him after the race was over he didn't care he won you know (laughs) that's how you learn again yeah so uh but i everybody was mad at me on on that bob helm and all the veterans were mad at me because i i was so mad at myself you know that i turned tom hurst around on the back straightaway to because he kind of ground me into the fence. He took me clear to the fence, and I wasn't ready for it. I was too inexperienced. And it, and I spun him out, and everybody was mad at me. And, and I mean, everybody was mad at me. <laughs> People were coming down out of the scoring tower and yelling at me. Oh, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, so anyway, that's... That's aggressive. <laughs> yeah, the, the back... There's more backstory to it all, but anyway, I mean that's how that's when when I started racing and those guys, those those older guys, those veterans, they they gave no quarter. They were they they were going to run into you, but they weren't out to spin you out or anything. They just let you know mm-hmm. that here here I am. Get out of the way. Either go fast or get out of the way because I'm. Next time I'm gonna hit you harder. So, 
it, it was a different time in the in the late 80s and with Tom Hurst and Dave Burkoffer and Willie Kraft and all, all those guys they they meant business oh yeah yeah did uh when you first started racing and then start racing notable veterans like that did you ever feel like any pressure to perform very well or that you were held to a higher standard for being Roger's kid well the advice that dad gave me you know you you barely make the show so you're starting 22nd you know out of 24 cars and they're going to be lapping you in a hurry and so his advice was just keep it straight you know don't don't get the tail out because they're going to turn you around if you're in the way that's just the way it's going to be mm-hmm. and they don't do that you can't do that anymore everybody's too whiny or something <laughs> uh but literally every time they came to lap me they hit me so hard you know that it banged your head into the back of the seat and you just you just kept it straight you know just kept the car straight so uh and and they get around you mm-hmm. you know i i wouldn't try to do anything other than just keep it straight or I, they were going to spin me out. And then I'd be, you know, T-boned by the guy running third place, you know, or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that that was the advice that he gave me, just keep it straight, you know, and, and try not to be in the way. But if you're getting lapped, you're in the way. Right. So, <laughs> But <laughs> yeah. at least I wasn't causing a yellow. So Yeah, true. Yeah. Do you think there was more, like, more or less disparity between the cars as far as the field goes speed-wise back then versus now, or do you think it's about the same? You mean in the, the performance of what you could bring to the racetrack? I think yeah, back just, then everything was a little more even. I think now you can out-money somebody a lot easier, especially on your shock package, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you don't have the the in with the shock dyno guys out of North Carolina, you're out to lunch, and there's not even a you know you don't you don't have a whisper of a prayer running up front unless you've got that technology, and it and let let me tell you it it takes a lot to get it. And and not just money. You just have you have to have the connections through Mark Richards or Rocket, and mm-hmm. and whether yeah. you're running a, a Bilstein's or Pit, Pinsky or whatever, mm-hmm. you've got to have the right shock. And that's that's unfortunate. I think it's uh, because we've been way out to lunch, and just by putting a new right front shock on that. Richard sends up to us, uh, you know, we're on the program just like that. Mm-hmm. And and we didn't do anything else. So, you know, I would sure like to get in into a car, you know, that has has a complete package, you know, of, of everything. And uh I I think I could I could drive up front, you know, with those guys. But for us to just decide we're going to buy a rocket go race world outlaws or lucas oil you're you're in a dream world unless you're 
you know, got all these connections and then, and then you got to have the right tire and know which tire to run. And it's, it's, you know, you have got to have it all together to run up front. Yeah. It seems like that's a common thing among most motorsports now is you got to either be in the inn, already know somebody or just have the money to go figure it out. One of the three things. Right. And, and if you've got the the money and you just buy your way to the front, it doesn't seem like those guys stay in front all for all that long. I mean, they're because they never actually learned what it takes. They just bought their way to the front, mm-hmm. and and once they kind of run out of desire or money or or whatever it is they fade away pretty quick, but you know, the true, the true racers, you know, Tim McCready's and, you know, these guys like that, they evolve with the, you know, and, and they're not necessarily buying their way to the front. They're, they're there and they're staying there. Mm -hmm. And, and they're the ones that are pushing the envelope forward for somebody that has a bunch of money to come along and say, Hey, give me the hot setup and, and yeah, you can buy it, but they're not going to keep giving it to you. Right. Eventually you got to figure <laughs> it out yourself or go. Home. Right. Right. So uh, that's, that's where, oops, sorry. That's where racing is it's now. Okay. Um, the, uh, but back in the eighties and early nineties, you know, the tires were all the same around here and, and and when the Ump Summer Nationals would come around, we could run with them in in time trials and the heat race and the fast dash. But then when it came to feature time, we always had the wrong tire on, and 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 that's where they beat us, you know, because we Ray mm-hmm. Gus and myself would time one and two and win the fast dash and start on the front. And in five laps, you know, Pierce and Auckland and Moyer and all those guys were, you couldn't even see them anymore. And Bill Fry and, and you'd go over to, over to Bill Fry after the race and say, man, I, I had a 20 on, I, I had a 20 on the right rear. And he says, oh man, Ryan, you had to have a 40 on natural rubber 40. And, you know, I mean, you just <laughs> couldn't do it. You know, you didn't right. know what to have on. And if you're tried to do it the tired wear out before the end of the race and it, it was just you know we we didn't run that stuff up here we just ran one tire and that was it. it they they are trying to get it down to just one you know three tires which mm-hmm. still you're you're going to be out to lunch because you could have one specially made that's got a softer sidewall or the carcass is mm-hmm. made differently and mm-hmm. you're you're still not on the same tire so you you know and that happens even on in when there's a tire rule is that there's a tire that, that has the same markings that you can get in california and bring it back to iowa and it's a softer mm-hmm. whatever sidewall or whatever i guess we never we never went to that extreme because we felt like that was cheap and i i didn't we never we never felt a desire to you know out cheat somebody or something like that we ran what we had so 
Yeah. And, and I'm happy about that. Yeah, and that's something that always fascinated me when we started getting really competitive in the go-kart stuff. Like, the tire game was just unbelievable. A story mm-hmm. I always tell that, for some reason, it just sticks in my memory. I think it was the first or second time we ran the Tulsa shootout. Um, we did time trials down there, too, and I specifically remember this. Chad Waller was selling Maxxis Pinks, so Maxxis differentiated their tires by a different color logo like they had a maxis yellow maxis blue was their standard and they had these maxis pinks so we were running maxis pinks for qualifying and he was grinding those tires or he was cutting the tires almost to the cords and they were strictly a qualifying tire and he was selling them at that time for 81 bucks a piece for a little go-kart tire Mm -hmm. and you would go out and it was lightning fast i mean you would do your qualifying lap and when you came in the tire, you were on cords, mm-hmm. and the tire was junk. Right. But that's what everybody was doing. You had to have that Maxxis Pink if you wanted to even have a shot at getting a good time. Right, right. And, I mean, it just, the tire game has slowly evolved to even a bigger monster than it was then. I, I, yeah. yeah, I know. When I went to <clears throat> Delaware, and there were some nationals that you were running up there, and and Travis and I drove up there. And I was amazed at how much tire work your dad was doing. And that was before we did anything, you know, in racing about grinding tires and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And that's all your dad did the whole night was mess with tires. And it just seemed like it was exhausting. Uh, but you won the thing, I think. Uh, so he had the, uh, you guys had your act together. And uh, I mean, that's what it turned into and modified and late modeled in around here was the same kind of thing. Yeah, is your tire problem. And that's funny that you mentioned that story because I actually had that in my notes that I wanted to ask you about because Travis just called me the other day and he's like, hey, when you have Ryan on, you need to ask him about, he was there when he won nationals. And I was like, man, I, I guess I don't really remember that. But he said he had me go walk the track with you. And then he said you were even pushing on the rear bumper of my junior sprint car. And he said he thinks you had my dad change like a left rear, right rear shock or something like oh. that. I I don't know I don't know I mainly I remember I thought that Travis's driving on the way home was going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> he, he never kept his eyes on the road. I thought, oh, we're not going to make it. <laughs> so uh, no, that's awesome. But I completely forgot about that. And the more I started thinking about it after he mentioned it, I do kind of remember you being there and then i mentioned it to dad and he's like yeah i guess he was there so yeah, yeah. that was really cool that you were involved in my racing at some point even before i made the move to cars so that right. was really cool especially to win nationals when you were there that's awesome yeah and i think it was a late night <laughs> oh yeah as i remember uh because you know i was racing it must have been during the week or i wouldn't have went so yeah, it was probably midweek. Yeah, Wednesday night or something. But yeah, that was a quite a deal. I was not a. I was surprised there were so many cars there, and it was such a, a competitive field of cars and how much work uh, Tracy had to do and everything. It was amazing. Yeah, and I remember when we had the little shop across the street that we rented from our house. He had the one whole wall. I mean, this tire rack had to be, I don't know, probably six six rows high and it had to be all a 20 foot long and it was just all tires 
all mounted tires. That wasn't even new ones that mm-hmm. weren't mounted yet. And, I, and he had a whole setup there in that shop. I don't know if you remember that shop at all that we had. It's kitty corner from our house. I don't know if you yeah, ever I remember. No, I don't but, remember. But Dad had a whole setup back there. I mean, he had the hot box that you would that you would roll the tires in and mm-hmm. tire prep, get them good and hot, and roll them in that. He had a little like bench top uh, cutting wheels to where you would mount that wheel on and you would cut mm-hmm. the tire down. And I mean, he had a whole system and just tire work. But that's that was the game changer in go kart racing back then was strictly tires. Right, right, and if any. You know, only people involved in racing would know that you've got a hundred tires up there, and and Tracy knew every tire in there and when to run it. It, it wasn't just like random. He he knew everything about everything. You know, and that's how you win races. Yeah, I mean that it was incredible, and we even talked to Dad about that uh, last week on here, and I was just always amazed at how sharp he was with some of that stuff he just knew exactly what changes we need to make and obviously he knew exactly what tire setup we needed to run what compound what tire prep to use how far to cut them right. i mean everything it was just crazy that he picked up on all that and was so good at it right right uh when i when i first started racing and you know every you were everybody when you when you start you're just so stupid you know you don't even know which way to turn the <laughs> radius rod to make it longer or shorter you know and but you were around people that didn't even have to think about it they just they just turned it you know and 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 that's when you knew that you were you're were pretty stupid <laughs> you know when you're around old veterans you mm-hmm. know so and that that's what's fun about racing is you're you know you're being led on by the the uh, elders of the the sport so yeah that's I, always a lot of fun oh yeah it's amazing what you learn from the older guys too like if it hadn't have been for mike i wouldn't know how to work on a race car i'm not going to claim that i'm good at it but I at least know halfway what i'm doing a little bit <laughs> depending on what the car is right but the first time I just remember the first time walking into the shop, I had no idea what any of that stuff was. He told me to go pick up a Heim joint or something, and I was like, "What? <laughs> what is that? Right. What is an AN fitting? What are you talking about?" Yeah, and the left-handed one with the you know a half-inch center and not. Yeah, I know it. It's it's mind-boggling to just be thrown into it. And, yeah, and. We did our own motor work, you know, too. You know, I, I'd put the motors together and, and you know, now it's so specialized that it's like right. no, nobody can do it all. You yeah. buy the motor from who, whoever's the hot motor guy and whatever. So, yeah, there's so much. It's gone wild. The technology of everything's gone wild. I guess that's a that's the voice of somebody who's out out of it, you know. It's you're you're it's mystifying. You don't even know where to start. You know. So there's a good motor builder and there's good chassis guys and yep. you gotta bring them all together. So Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. I was gonna bring it back because it this just popped in my head. We were talking about your dad racing earlier 
And it just got me thinking, we've talked about some of your favorite wins and stuff like that. What was one of your favorite wins that your dad had? Or like, what was one of the races you just remember him coming from behind and winning or something like that? Um, well, I was lucky enough to be able to race in the same races as my dad was racing in. And, and there's a couple times that he started way in the back and my car, you know, and I was in somebody else's and, and in five laps here, he is, you know, <laughs> going by on the very top, you know, and and so that was that was a learning experience is to be behind the wheel and have Roger Dolan blast by you you know and and all yeah. all you could do is tear a tear off off and he was already <laughs> two cars ahead of you you know in one corner and and he was you know that really told me how good he was is when he would do that we'd just go to Tipton or whatever. But he, he won the Springfield mile. That was a big race. And he, I know one race that he was always regretted getting away from him was the world 100. He was leading it with 12 to go. And the, and the rear end, the quick change went out of it with 12 to go. And he had it won. Uh, And it, and, it was a Franklin rear end and every, it was just a, you know, that was a heartbreaker because all the Iowa guys were winning and he, he had it. I think Bill Beckman had, was leading with seven to go and something happened. He lost the world 100. So, you know, he, dad won so many races I, I don't know. I just I, I do remember us watching not going to the race and he would win at Des Moines on the fair or something like that, you know, and we'd see it on Iowa public television and uh I don't know. I, I guess I haven't thought about that. There's there's been so many wins over the years and big races, big wins that he won, it's hard to put a finger on it. But I do know he did like the mile deal down at Springfield and that, oh, that's awesome yeah that was a big race for him to win 75 lap or something so uh and that that was a that was his own wrenching on the car it was a Chevelle and Walt Novak had the the uh John Deere dealership here in in Lisbon and he he funded the car <laughs> and dad did all the work I mean that's all dad did was was race race in the seventies, and uh, they won a lot of races. What we'd go to Eldon and Freeport, and, you know Davenport, everywhere. Oskaloosa, you know, four, three, four nights a week. That's all he did. So he was good. That's just crazy. <laughs> That's pretty wild. The Springfield Mile's a big one. Like, what? Where is that at? I just I've heard the name over and over and over. Is that Springfield, Illinois, or where's that at? Yeah, yeah. Springfield, Illinois. It's kind of it's the fairgrounds, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, there's a Decoin Mile in yep. in over there, but Springfield is yeah. Central Illinois. I ran the Sedalia Mile in Sedalia, Missouri, 
a couple oh, nice. times. And uh, and I took my own late model down there and got milk or something. But we were out to lunch on that. But it was still a good experience and ran a modified down there a couple times. But I never got to run at Springfield. And I don't think they ran cars on the Decoin, but I, I went and watched flat track motorcycles there. Uh, that's a, you know, that that's a fun thing to do is to run on a mile dirt track. So Yeah, that would that would be crazy. Cause I, I know there's some big half miles and you're like, man, this track feels huge, but a mile, I mean, uh, yeah. that's double the distance. So yes. Yeah. And, and it doesn't feel like you're going all that fast un, until you, you know, lose control of, of it or see somebody just do a kind of a loop, deluge spin out into the fence and it just totally destroys the car is that you realize that, man, you're going a hundred. 30 miles an hour or whatever. And when yeah. we when we went down with the mods and the late models, you know, the body, uh, the aerodynamics of the car, you know, the what you have to keep the air out from underneath the car, it just seemed like it was going to tear the body off of the thing <laughs> at the end of the straightaway. And and the just the air coming in on your head, push your head back against the the seat. And you realize, man, I'm going fast. Yeah, that's <laughs> but, wild. Yeah, faster than you know, a big half mile around here would would be Des Moines or or Davenport's half mile. Yeah, and you're going darn fast at the end of those straightaways too, you mm-hmm. know. But nothing like at the end of a, a mile track. It's unbelievable. The one half mile that always stuck out to me, and I'm glad I got to run it before they got rid of it, was the half mile at Farley. Yeah. I remember the first time we ran the Yankee up there, and you get halfway down the straightaway, and I'm like, man, <laughs> I feel like we got a long ways to go. I know. But it was fast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the way it was in the 80s and the 90s with the the high bank and, and you know, you – you thought the motor was going to blow up by the time you got to the end of the straightaway because the sh- corners were so sharp, and and uh, that was that was hard. Far the Farley half mile was hard on everything of a race car. Uh, the brakes would be smoking at the end, the rear end smoking, the motor's hot. You That's know, crazy. It, it was a fun racetrack. I, you know, you. You learned to race the track, and you didn't worry about the competitors. It was just race the racetrack and, and go as fast as you could, you know. And if somebody was in front of you, you know, you just got to pass them somehow and and get to the end of it because that track was brutal. And the rocks, you know, in the yeah. racetrack, and the dirt was kind of sandy. And, I don't know, eventually then at the end of, that it would always rubber up because of the tire compounds and stuff. So it was a tire eater. Uh, but I did love that big half. I was sorry to see that go. Uh, that was a classic mm-hmm. racetrack. Yeah. Well, when I got to run it, it's, that was the only time that they ran it was just for the Yankees. So turn three, because they built a three-eighths yeah. mile. Inside yeah. of it, they built a new turn three and four. And we always had decent luck there, but running that half mile, 
since they had that new corner in there, you, when you would go into turn three, you were going downhill. Yeah, yeah. And then when you come out of turn four, <laughs> you're like ramping uphill. I mean, it was, it was cool. That's but I do wild. remember the rocks there because since it would sit all year long and they would never use it, I do remember getting hit with a few rocks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that, it was brutal. We'd run, you know, weekly up there and, uh, you had to have your hands, you know, behind something because to get hit on the, on the end of your fingers or, or on your knuckles by a little pebble or a big rock or something. Oh my God. Oh. Um, I got hit. I, another big half mile would be Oskaloosa mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and that was a scary, kind of half mile and a guardrail, you know, thing that you could get your get under it if you hit it, it seemed like it was never good to hit the guardrail. Uh, no, worse than a concrete terrifying. fence, you know. <laughs> uh or worse yet was the at Davenport when it was just these blocks. It wasn't even a, a, a solid wall. It was just these big cement squares that they sat down and they were uneven and man if you got into that it just destroyed the car but but you had to run up against it or you weren't going to be fast so you know all these racetracks you know you had to you know do it yeah you you had to do it or you weren't going to be fast and and not be afraid of, of getting into it but down at Oskaloosa I was running a modified and and the the cap off of a of a universal joint, you know, mm-hmm. came oh, in. Man. I I saw it come, and I didn't know what it was until we found it afterwards. But it hit me on the shoulder, and it damn near, you know, made me pass out in in pain. I I couldn't even think straight, you know, let alone drive. Uh-huh. And right. and it swelled up, and and we had to go to the ambulance after the race was over and get an ice pack, and it just was all black and blue and eventually we found down in the car and, and matched up the you know the 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 weld the, the weld to this universal joint cap you know probably from 1968 had been laying on the racetrack and what the heck you know i mean uh that that was a memory from down there but uh that was a fast race those things aren't light. Like back in the day, those old U joint caps were kind of heavy too. So you got pelted by basically a giant rock. <laughs> uh, yeah, a, a, a bullet. Uh, yeah, a flat bullet. You know, thing that came in. And I've been hit by big rocks that I saw coming. You know, and it's mm-hmm. it's amazing that you know you just see it make this loop, and it's like, yep, it's going to come right in and hit you and <laughs> knock your visor off and. And, and, you know, (laughs) one, I was chasing Jeff Morris once, uh, at Tipton and we were crushing the cushion and he, he kicked up a big plot of dirt and it came in and I thought it broke my jaw Uh, (laughs) when it hit me in the, in the face, you know, and, and hit the helmet back into my face. And I didn't slow down or anything, but I thought. I thought my jaw was broke, and needless oh, to say, I, I didn't get him past or anything. Uh, but so you know, it, that's a big thing is having stuff come in on you. And oh yeah. You. Uh, I had a 
a big plot of dirt come in and knock the steering wheel off one one time up at Hawkeye oh, Downs. And, and I managed to get it back on without crashing. But, uh, you know, it, you know, it's probably a 20-pound piece of dirt that comes oh, yeah. in your car, car when you're going 80 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And it's like a bomb going off. And so. I never, I, I mean, I've been hit by quite a bit of stuff with the big car stuff. But when you get in an open wheel car, that is a whole different yeah. ball game. Yeah. I mean, it is pulling tear offs like every lap. And I mean, I, I don't know how many chip visors I've had from it. Right. But it always drives you nuts when you see something coming. Like you said, you can just watch it coming. You're like, this is going to hit me right in the visor. And then it knocks all your tear-offs <laughs> off. And then you're scraping it down the straightaway. Yeah, and yeah. Oh, man. I don't know how many times I had that happen at West Liberty. But that was before that was before I got the racing optics laminated tear-offs. I was still putting the individual yeah, ultra yeah. shields on. I don't know how many times I'd have them knocked off. And then I'm going down the straightaway, <laughs> scrape my visor off go through the corner can't see nothing coming out of the corner then you gotta scrape it again (laughs) yeah Uh, that reminds me of we all would go on the bush tour and we'd go race out at the at uh sioux city iowa and i can't remember the name of the racetrack now but the kasiskis and you know all those western iowa guys were the hot dogs there and and we you know we're we're getting ready to go out for the heat and stuff, and and they've got all these cardboard over their uh, screen, you know, their windshield, and they basically just had a little square <laughs> that they looked at, and all us guys from over here are thinking, what what is the deal with these guys with all this cardboard and and stuff? You know, we thought they were a bunch of idiots. Well, come to find out that 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 dirt is this loose dirt that's uh like this super sticky uh river bottom dirt from the missouri river or whatever that's really rare in in that zone (laughs) and so the first clot of dirt that hit you on the on the face shield you know over here on on the eastern side of iowa you you didn't waste your tear off you you scraped them off with Mm -hmm. your fingers uh, so you didn't waste them. Well, that mud was so sticky that you tore all uh, six <laughs> of your tear-offs off on the first lap. And then literally oh you couldn't even claw that crap off your windshield, uh, off your face shield. <laughs> and we were so out to lunch just because we weren't prepared for that kind of dirt, you know, to get on your face shield. Yeah, that's a different animal. I know. <laughs> nasty stuff. It was, called, it was the Los Hills, uh, and that dirt was super sticky. Uh, it's like clay. That's just, yeah. Ugh, no. Yeah, <laughs> it was unbelievable. I think Bob Hill, he was the first guy that had these roll-off things, you know, where it mm-hmm. had an electric uh, roll, and it went through, and he had like 50 feet of that was hanging out. <laughs> the driver's side of the car because <laughs> it wouldn't even clear it off and go into the intake thing and and we we soon figured out why uh steve and joe and all them had cardboard on their windshield yeah i don't think i've ever experienced mud quite like that i mean i do know several times where i would 
all my tear offs would fall off or I'd use them all up and then I'm scraping, but that's right. That's pretty extreme. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That was a learning experience, but yeah, everybody. Yeah. Nowadays with the, you know, you can put 20 tear offs on mm-hmm. and back in, in the day, if you had five of them on there, you couldn't hardly see. Right. Cause they, you know, they weren't laminated together and, and, and my dad would, you know, I'd be trying to put 10 of them on and he would have somehow managed to only put like three on and, and hold his hand up, you know, to, to block the, the mud. But, uh, yeah, the, the laminated ones now took all that strategy of your tear offs out, uh, got thrown out the window mm-hmm. and, and, and my dad taught me, you know, we would carry a little package of tear-offs in the car with us and change them on the yellow. You know, hold the steering wheel with your knee and put new ones on. Uh, because a place like Farley and that was just mm-hmm. so dirty. Uh, mm-hmm. And oh, you'd wow. have to do that. So, Yeah, after about like five weeks in a row of all my tear-offs falling off, Johnny Spa's actually the one that told me about those racing optics. He's like, what are you running for tear-offs? And I'm like, just these single ultra shields. And he's like, no, we're done with those. He's like, you need to get these because they won't fall off all at once. And you can put 10 on right. and it looks like looking through three of the singles. So. Yeah. 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 I didn't know about them either until I started driving for Drawley and, mm-hmm. and they had them and, and, uh, it was yeah that was a i mean that took all the worry out about your tear offs just yeah. like that so uh again the technology that comes along is amazing uh and and the good technology of having a hans device and yep. a, and a, a yep. good seat you know a, a full containment seat and mm-hmm. all that you know my neck i've got you know permanent whiplash and from not even having a headrest, you know, when we started racing and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that, it just, uh, you know, can't <laughs> believe it. It's terrible. Yeah, you see back some of them the old, that... pic- you see them old pictures of them guys back in the day, and you're just like, how did yeah. they drive like that? Yeah. Well, yeah. it's like, especially the cup guys. Like, if you ever watch really old. NASCAR mm-hmm. races from like when Richard Petty just started the 60s to 70s they basically had lap belts a roll cage open face helmet and a lot of prayers like right. <laughs> whatever they would hit something yeah and 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 street shoes you know that that yeah they would have third degree burn on the bottom of their foot you know from the heat of the exhaust pipe under there uh and just wearing alligator you know loafer shoes you know uh i i've been in race cars where the the floor was so friggin' hot that you couldn't you know keep your foot i mean you had to but it was like i'm burning my foot on this thing mm-hmm. uh you know so those richard petty and those guys to run on those big tracks like that i mean just for us to run up here and and the track rubber down or, or whatever happened, you know, and no, no headrest thing to, man, your neck was so tired at the end of the race, you couldn't even hold your head up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that technology really helps <laughs> just in safety that 
you can go faster because now you're safer. You know, right. so it's a it's a vicious circle. And you're not <laughs> as tired just from trying to keep your head straight. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, eventually you just had to let it go over and yeah. and let it lay over, which was very unnatural to you know go around the corner with your head just flopped over but mm-hmm. but you literally you could not hold your head up any longer i remember andy eckridge telling me a story about that down at west liberty when the track was just really juiced up and hammered down and he's like he's like i ended up with a concussion one time from it just because he was trying to fight holding his head off and it kept bouncing over and then finally he just finally yeah. let it rest against there but <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think everybody's been there. Mm-hmm. Uh, because eventually, you know, and there again, now you can buy a carbon fiber helmet that weighs little and nothing. And the helmets we had in the 80s, you know, were, who knows, you know, how much they weighed, but they were heavy. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, that's all part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... See, it's all fun to talk about it. Oh, yeah. The racing stories. I mean, you can go on for hours and hours and hours on it. But we kind of got off track there a little bit. But I want to kind of get back into a little bit of all the success that you had running with the Jamesons. I mean, how many years did you race with them? I think six or seven, I think, though. You know, something like that. Uh, but we won a lot of races, you know. We, Benny had always made good motors, and, mm-hmm. and you know, Benny was was many. He raced as long as my dad had been racing, you know, from the sixties, and and we had good cars and good motors. I mean, the motors, you know, the open motor, and mm-hmm. and it was always a four ten or four twenty or something like that, mm-hmm. and. And it was, you know, on alcohol and good motors, good power band. Uh, and over the years that we raced, we only had a couple problems. Uh, but, I, you know, I think we won both the both Yankee features. They, they had a Yankee that on the three-eighths mile and one on the half, mm-hmm. and we won them both and, and won multiple – Yankees and the modified and uh with Terry's car and and won the won the points, you know, and won like thirteen out of fifteen races down at West Liberty and I I don't know. I don't know how many races we won. I never was a I never kept track of it, but mm-hmm. uh you know, we were we won fifteen races a year for, you know, six seven years so uh i should have kept better track but yeah i I just say i I won a lot of races yeah well that that yellow number seven it was always in contention to win yeah yeah and we we had a good setup and Mm -hmm. and when we were running with the locked up left rear and Mm -hmm. and the left front was off the ground all the time i could I mean, I liked it. I liked the feel of that, and we won a damn lot of races that way. Yeah, and we uh, actually, our first car was your old stealth car that you ran with Jamesons, and that's how I learned to drive modifieds was with that left front. If that left front was spinning, 
you weren't doing something <laughs> right. That thing needed to be off the ground until the yellow flag came out, and that you should be able to read what the tread says on the sidewall. Right. Like you should be able to read oh, the Hoosier awesome. or the American Racer, otherwise you're not fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a, a you know the technology changed and everybody was clamped up there for a while and mm -hmm. and uh but you know you could tell you know when you went and ran usmts or something that things were changing and they started locking them down and we then we kind of when the spring went behind the left rear and and uh you know you we were on top of that you know and, mm -hmm. and Acres helped us too in that area too when we got shaw cars and uh you know we we made the switch from being clamped up to being floated or mm -hmm. or spring behind or whatever however you want us to talk about it but we were fast then too you know and we wanted we still yeah. continued to win mm -hmm. and changed with the technology and that's that's what i think was a uh, was good with jameson's that is that we we stayed with the technology on through the years of our racing and and we're still on top of it at the end as we were when we got in it so because mm -hmm. i was running other cars and i think we came in and i said well we got to clamp left rear up and we were fast right off the start i yeah now that i'm thinking about it i I ran it down at Alito, Illinois, or something, and we missed making the show by one. But then we started the next year, and we were fast from the get go. Mm -hmm. So, and we ran a lot. Terry liked to go. You know, we'd go up to Deer Creek and Cresco and Decora and run all the USMTS, and we ran with them. You know, we could run yeah. with them. Uh, That's awesome. I, I never ran. I never won. One, I know Terry would have liked the one one, but they were tough guys to run with. Oh yeah, that USMTS. We never in, we thought about it a couple times when they would have that show at Tipton or something like that. Just yeah, we just never. I don't know why we never ended up doing it, but it would have been cool. Yeah. But those guys, they that was a completely different beast. Yeah, there, there again, that's where the the motor combination and the shock and stuff. You know, we were out to lunch up here. You know, we were in our own little bubble of racing each other here. Yeah. And and they were coming into our zone with advanced technology and the shocks and stuff. And it was like, eh, we're out to lunch. Yeah. You know, and, and we knew it. So yeah. there wasn't much point in traveling too far away from home to get your ass kicked. You know, <laughs> because you you knew you weren't on the program with right. the shock technology. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm just kind of curious. What is USMTS? I hadn't heard of that until just now. Well, maybe it's called something different now. But USMS, I USMTS. That's the mod. That's the national modified series that okay. um, kind of originates out of Iowa. I don't know if the guy still lives in in Webster City. Uh, that that started that, but I mean they run all year long, you know, just like uh, the Lucas Oil late models. They start in Texas mm -hmm. and then come up here. Yeah, uh, they're not quite as prevalent up here in Iowa as they 
were. I think they're they're hotter down in Oklahoma and Kansas and Missouri and stuff, but they're still at it. But that's the United States National Modified Touring Series or something like that. Uh, but that's yeah. So it, yeah, they so started would you say this in, comparable in the, to like UMP late models now. I guess what's that? Sorry about that. Would you say that it's comparable to like the UMP late model series now? Yeah, some. Yeah, it is. It's their own touring series, okay. and they run all over the place. It is, it, and Coldmate, you know, at the end of the year up at Deer Creek, you know, that they have their big uh, fall jamboree, and and we ran we ran that a couple times, but there again, it was hundreds of entries, you know, hundred and fifty entries, and and we wow. made the show a couple times, but it was hard just to make the show. Oh yeah, so that's crazy. Yeah, that's a lot of cars. <laughs> oh, I know it. You know, and it was a lot of days of being up there, you know, four days. Uh, you know, you had to. Well, I some of the guys have have trans made the switch into late models like that, the Scott brothers and. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jason Hughes ran late model for a couple years. He was, you know, I ran against those guys and Hughes. And back in the 90s, you know, it was Shyrock and Ron Jones. Uh, uh, you know, a whole bunch of guys from Kansas and Oklahoma and stuff come up here. I can't think of their names now, but, um, you know, everybody was fast. So yeah, you didn't get any gimmies for sure. <laughs> yeah, they. Well, and like you said, having 150 cars—that's that's a lot of cars. Right, and then Steve and Joe Kaziski and Old Man Moyer and and you know they'd all come in in there with cars. And, yep. And that's what made winning that one in '96 at Burlington nice. Is you know I think everybody was there. Mm-hmm. You know every. The late model guys and the modified guys. Half the time, just beating those big names like that is way cooler than winning the race. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> it, it, just to be able to say you passed old man Moyer, uh, you know, somewhere whether mm-hmm. it was hot laps or whatever, is to some people a career, and and that's what you know. Bob Helm. You know, we were all Bob Helm is was another old veteran and and we were all down in the mouth about you know only one uh, you know eight features or something in a year and he says he says i can't believe you guys he says you know some guys race for 25 years and don't <laughs> win eight features in 25 <laughs> years he says you guys are full of shit <laughs> <laughs> but you know we wanted to win right so well, and I mean, I kind of felt that way sometimes running locally here. And then if I could finish ahead of you or Johnny, that was a win to me. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I was just a young kid just trying to keep my nose clean and try and learn and yeah, being able to finish in front of you guys. I was like, man, I don't even care if I finished eighth. I just, <laughs> I was ahead of Ryan and Johnny. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. That's good. I mean, that's how, you know, just to make the show is a win. Yeah. 
sometimes and and that's how you have to put it in perspective to keep on going mm-hmm. is is yeah. uh you know that you're not gonna you know go win the world 100 on the on your first try right scott bloomquist did but but that's a totally different you know <laughs> right. animal there right <laughs> uh so you know nothing's it but that's what keeps everybody going is nothing's impossible there's always going to be another mm-hmm. uh phenomenal race car driver come out of the woodwork that that yep. blows by you and you're you're going to say who the hell's that kid he'll he'll never last he, he, you know he's running on his dad's money and 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 but there's a, there's those guys that do make it and mm-hmm. continue to go and and be superstars of racing whether it's local or national and i mean i would have never learned how to run the cushion if it wasn't for following you for a couple years because i was always intimidated to go up and run the wall at west liberty but there were several nights that i would find myself either a couple cars behind you or right behind you and i'm just like well ryan makes it work so i guess i'm gonna try it and see what happens (laughs) but that's also the first time that i learned there was one race, I don't know if it was just a weekly race or if it was a like a support class for Tornado Tuesday or Liberty mm-hmm. 100 or something like that. But the cushion in turn three and four was all the way up to the concrete wall. Well, that's when I first learned that there's a little bit of a lip in turn three and four. But I remember following you. And as soon as we were going in, I was like, all right, we're going to be right on the wall. And then you feel the track level out. Mm-hmm. Like there's that little shelf there. And I never knew that was there until I followed you that one night. And I was like, holy cow, we are up here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's grass growing up there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, over the years, they changed that. But <clears throat> but where I learned to run the cushion was at Hawkeye Downs. And, and dad was, you know, he just says, you're not high enough, you know. And it's like, well, it's impossible to go any higher. <laughs> And he's like, he just would say, you're not, you're, you got to get up into the cushion. And, and, you know, there's a, there's, it's dry slick below the cushion and then there's the cushion mm-hmm. and, and you got to get your right rear into that cushion or right on the, the brown part of it. Mm-hmm. Hawkeye Downs was hard because it was all real black there. You couldn't tell the difference between the dry and the traction. Mm-hmm. And it was like magic once you got up a little higher and you were in the good dirt then it was way easier to run oh it, yeah even can even if you were just an inch from the wall mm-hmm. because now you were back on traction where you know 23 of the other guys you're racing against have their right rear on the slickest part of the racetrack uh-huh. and you're just yeah. a foot higher and you're in super sticky dirt and and you know that was a big uh, advantage for me to to just every weekend you you know you just had somebody go you got to go higher you're not high enough <laughs> this is as simple as that you got to run higher mm-hmm. you're not in the cushion and 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 I can remember saying you can't go any higher <laughs> but but Kenny Walton and and my dad and Tom Hurst and them. They were taking it, you know. I mean, it was a matter of just watching them. Yeah, and it's like, well, they yeah. are higher because mm-hmm. the dirt's flying over the wall and they're fast. 
So, you know, that was a big advantage that that's, my dad just, you know, that's all he would say. It, it wasn't like a mathematical mm-hmm. problem. You just got to get higher. That's all there is to it. Just get higher. <laughs> and and that was that was the case for many a racetrack. Mm-hmm. So well, and like I said, that's that's how I learned it is just by following you. Because I was like, all right, I think I'm running the cushion, and I see you go in, and your spoilers just barely scraping the wall, just enough to cause sparks. And I'm like, <laughs> I am definitely not high enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I that's how I learned too. Mm-hmm. You know, is it, that it was. It was a whole lot easier just to go ahead and let it all hang out and get it right against the fence. And and if you're already, you know, against the fence, if if you just happen to get into it a little bit, it's just going to spark a little bit. But yeah. uh, the track down at West Liberty, you know, over the years, they regraded it. And, and my God, now, you know, I haven't raced down there for a while. But when I quit racing, you didn't dare want to get up that high it was like it sucked you into the fence mm-hmm. and oh man and, and they had a reverse bank on on the very top of it and you couldn't do it uh and it was too crummy and you know whatever but uh, racetracks change you know over the years too so. mm-hmm. yeah well west liberty is just a great track to learn on just because it's so unique two yeah. completely different corners yeah and the dirt down there that you know, the, the racing gods blessed that dirt down there at West Liberty. It, you know, it made a perfect glassy, dry, slick racetrack, you know, like this floor of the shop here. And and there's nothing better to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, racing is on a, you know, whether it's from the bottom to the top, and it's, it's a consistently, you know, smooth, clean racetrack you know it's not crummy and dusty and and that was an yeah. awesome racetrack back in the day minus the the hole in turn one that showed up almost every week <laughs> oh i know because there was a, a old water pipe or something that ran under the ground there that caused this mega whoop-de-doo i know it yeah that was that was always something you didn't want to hit it sideways you want to go straight over it yeah yeah it wouldn't when I first started in the eighties down there, the it was way different. You could get up on the bank with it was, you know, reverse <clears throat> camber or bank and uh uh some guys would get so far up into there there'd be grass out on the racetrack, you know. And it would be so <laughs> rough coming out of two that it was like just motocross and across <laughs> it. it. It was unbelievable. That's crazy. I know it. I know it. Uh, but that was a fun racetrack, whether it was rough or, mm-hmm. he- you know, super heavy or whatever, uh, a round racetrack. That made a lot of good race car drivers, West Liberty mm-hmm. did. I think that's going to go down as probably my favorite track ever. I mean, I'm sure I got a lot of tracks I get, I'll get the opportunity to race at, but I just, I think it's kind of a special place because I learned a lot there and it's just, it's always fun. Yeah, it, it's got a lot of history to it. Um, I I liked West Liberty and, and Tipton was, you know, I liked all, all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I can't even think of uh, one that I would have something negative to say, uh, you know, other than, you know, 
scary walls or you know the <laughs> right concrete yeah. thing that you could run into uh that that you kind of didn't care to race at a racetrack where you had a danger of cutting your car in two by getting <laughs> into the wall or something uh right <laughs> but most of them were pretty safe that there was an opening in in turn one at Davenport or uh, Des Moines that that ate a lot of cars in way back. That was scary, uh, and and we saw guys hit them. And my God, it drove the the right side of the car clear into the driver, you know. And it was a scary situation. Holy cow! Uh, and it would be so dusty, you know. I, I remember once that they started the heat or whatever, and it, it just it was so dusty, and you could just hear the cars hit this opening, just boom, 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 hit, and we were <laughs> diving, you know, behind the wall because you didn't know what was going on as you were watching. But uh, I don't know. Most most of the racetracks, I, I didn't have a problem with racing anywhere we went. There's just a lot of really good tracks around here. Yeah, there's a yeah. hundred dirt tracks in Iowa. Is there really? Yeah, uh, that's that's wild. Yeah, I think a hundred or hundred three dirt tracks. You added them all up. I I mean that's maybe they all aren't operating now, but mm-hmm. in the day way back, you know, in the eighties, I think there was a hundred operating racetracks, uh, the most in the country. That's just crazy right <laughs> and then you'd go to illinois and there was they were all short tracks iowa had half miles and you'd go over to illinois and they were all bull rings except for freeport and springfield and bitcoin yep uh, and then uh, the one down at tri-city was a half mile but they shortened that one up yep in st louis but we raced down there handful of times too on the big track i never raced on the shorter shorter yeah we don't have that many tracks here anymore (laughs) it's kind of scarce i know like they're all they're all gone we'd go to holt summit yeah jefferson city quincy's still going yep uh is joplin still racing down there I believe they are, yes. Yeah. There's the one down in Wheatland. You get Lucas yeah. Oil Speedway. Yep. Uh, Peevely's still going. Oh, yeah. You've yeah. got... There's a bunch of them southwest. So, like, the Springfield, Joplin, mm-hmm. Lake of the Ozarks area. But mm-hmm. around here, it's all kind of dried up. The only one that operates every week that I know of is Peevely. Uh, Montgomery City disappeared. The one that was in Fenton disappeared a long time ago. Like they've just all kind of shut down. Montgomery City shut down like ten or fifteen years ago too. Mm-hmm. Now is Quincy in in Missouri or Illinois? Quincy, Illinois, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's. Uh, I never raced there, Dad. My dad did quite a bit, but. Yeah, hey, you know, it's it's getting scarce. It's hard to keep mm-hmm. a racetrack open. There's not enough cars, not enough people. There's other things uh, people want to do or 
they don't want yeah. to sit in the cold and the dust and the dirt or whatever <laughs> it is. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But yeah. So what? Just from your experience, uh, what do you think racetracks are doing that they could improve upon, like to try to draw in more of a crowd or, you know, what have you, like it was way back when? Well, uh, when what I can remember in the seventies would be that there was only two classes. You know, they had a sportsman yeah. and they had a late model. And and most of the time, weekly, you know, you weren't there till midnight racing. You know, they started the races at at 7 or 7.45. I don't even, you know, I don't know. And it, it didn't seem like it was the middle of the night when they were over. And, and it seems like the racetracks now want to have you know five classes and and i don't know it just takes too long and and people you just see that the the stands are emptying out as before the late models are even out on the racetrack mm-hmm. the, the fans yeah have come to watch their guy you know and he might run the first uh night they're not staying the whole night because who wants to i mean i can't sit on a, a, a hard bleacher till midnight you know from seven o'clock at night till midnight you know, <laughs> yeah there's no way i can't either <laughs> no way my legs fall asleep <laughs> yeah I, it hurts my back and my rear end too much to do that so in my in my opinion is is to you know get the races over and get the people in and out and get the races on the track and and keep mm-hmm. the show going and don't farm the track in the middle of the night and and slow, you know, keep the action going. Once yeah. the races start, you know, don't get that water truck back out. Keep the grader off the track, you know. Only a handful of times did I see that the races were saved during, during the races when the water truck and the greater coast called out there during the show. Right. Uh, yeah. I I don't, you know, I, I, I'm a firm believer in is you race on what it is. You know, you don't need to re-farm mm-hmm. the track during the, you know, uh, the evening, you know, maybe with the exception of something like the Yankee or the World 100 or something that you don't want it to lock down in the first 10 laps and just be right. A, tire eater uh yeah but there again that's a whole nother level of strategy is to to race on a racetrack like that too so you know there i say i say you race on what you got once those races start leave the farm and stuff on in the infield and get the show over with and get the people on the road i i I think you're going to drive away the fans when you know, the only thing they have to talk about is, oh, it was eleven forty-five, and they were running the B feature. You know, mm-hmm. that that's yeah, the, that kills the vibe of racing. Mm-hmm. Yes, I hundred percent agree with that. That's what I hear a lot when I go down to like Peavey or something like that. Is whenever as we're leaving, I'll listen to like what people are saying after the races, just for feedback, for my own like personal sake, and they'll say that kind of stuff a lot. Like, man, it's eleven forty-five. They're not even done yet. Like, what the heck? Yeah. What are we? What are we doing? 
why are they still putting water on the track? Because the fans don't know, like, and it's not their fault they don't know. They just don't understand, like, what the importance of the water or farming the track or any of that stuff does for speed or grip or whatever. They don't care. They just want to see cars race. Like, mm-hmm. that's what you're there for. Right. Right. And the guy running the water track might not know either, you know. <laughs> so he, all he remembers is it was greasy and muddy and in 68 when he liked to go to the races. Yeah. He, you know. Uh, <laughs> It, you know, that's, uh, yeah, sometimes the people running the races aren't racers, you know, that there's good and bad to that. But when we ran at Vinton and they ran on Sunday night, I mean, they'd start the races at six and we'd be on the way home before nine. Now I can live with wow. that. And, and we, and they ran a full you know, five classes and they just boom, boom, boom. They ran them fast. And, and the promoter guy, Mike Van Gendren, or I think was his name. He, you know, he had a radio on so he could talk to the drivers and help, help get the inexperienced guys lined up and, and, uh, and keep the show going. That's, that is the most important part that we're missing in racing is keeping the show going mm-hmm. and, and get it done. And, and I, and I don't care if you don't sell hot dogs or popcorn because you want to keep the show going that you don't have time to go down and get a hot dog, you know, that, that you're going to miss some, you mm-hmm. got to get that buzz back into the, into the racing community that, that it's action packed and it's going to happen fast. And, and, and you're going to, be in and out and home and and you're not going to be dragging your tail the next day because you were there till one in the morning i mean yeah. we, when we ran at barley you didn't get home before one every night i mean it mm-hmm. was friday night and you started at eight you know and it was i didn't you know if they if i was going to start racing again and they told me that's how they were going to do it i wouldn't go <laughs> you know right uh, but we didn't know any better then and and it just drug on and on and on and a lot of good memories, but it burns you out. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Especially like with the fans, like what you said, now everybody's attention spans are like a fraction of what they were way back in the day too. Right. So getting them in, getting that adrenaline spike going and then like send them home, like, Oh my God, that was amazing. Instead of, (laughs) Yeah, I spent forty five minutes watching the water truck. Like, what the heck? I'm not going back there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you don't want your fans to be confounded. You know, thinking what, what, why'd they do that? You know, why'd yeah. they stop for a half hour in the middle of, of the show when you know it's lightning in the sky and and you know a lot of things like that are not only confounds the fans but the drivers too you know and it's just like what do you think just get the thing over so we can all you know we all love racing but we also like to be home and in bed (laughs) you know before two o'clock in the morning especially when you got two more nights to race oh yeah yeah that's very true yeah so so but you know i guess they'll figure it out or or they or not, I don't know. Um, I'm not going to go Maybe. throw my hat in the ring to try to promote a 
racetrack or anything like that. So I may not have the answers. <coughs> it's understandable. Yeah, <laughs> right. Right. Man, I guess, Tanner, did you have anything else that you wanted to ask him? Everything that was on my list of notes got covered just by conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Good. And I had a long <laughs> list too. Yeah, yeah, we but, could, you know, any any race car driver could oh, go yeah. on and on and on about his BS. And oh yeah, I didn't make. Oh too yeah, much for sure. Up. I, yeah, not 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 too many lies. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, our our whole goal with this show is to help be the voice for guys that have a really incredible story like you do and like guys like Johnny and even Danny Albright with all his motocross stuff. And we want to help be that voice for those stories to get told because they need to be heard because you guys are what made racing what it is. I mean, you guys came up through the, through the shit on and honestly, and this is where we're at. And I did, I think it's really cool getting to hear your story, getting to hear more about Roger. I mean, I learned a lot just listening to this tonight. But say, uh... yeah, I, I didn't mention a lot of, and Johnny Spa would agree with me on this is that Daryl Dake, you know, from mm-hmm. Cedar Rapids was a was a huge legend, and I would always I got to race with him too, you know, at the beginning of my career, and it was the end of yeah. his career, kind of. But he was a great guy to talk to about racing, and 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 uh, he had good, he had some of the best racing stories ever. Oh, I can told. only imagine. Um, <laughs> and 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 Johnny would be the expert on his on Dake's stories, but but I got to got firsthand to race with Daryl Dake. I I watched him, you know, in the seventies, and mm-hmm. he was the man at Hawkeye Downs. And, mm-hmm. And uh, and then I raced, got to race with him, and then I would always stop and talk to him at his shop whenever I was in Cedar Rapids. And hear his stories, and he had good stories, and he he went, you know, he was a a legend of the, the Eastern Iowa racing for sure, or Midwest racing, you know. Right. So, well, and Johnny's yeah. very high on my list to get on here. I just need him to get out of Oklahoma and get back home so I can get him lined <laughs> up. Yeah. And and I gonna I'm gonna ask him why in the world he went through Oklahoma, but whatever. <laughs> but uh, taking the taking the scenic route, yeah, yeah, take the long way home. <laughs> evidently, he maybe yeah. So, but yeah, no, Ryan, thank you very much for coming on here tonight. You truly are a legend of the sport. Um, I've always looked yes. up to you. Uh, growing up, going to the races with my dad and watching you race and just be so successful at something I always admired and uh, getting to learn more about that tonight was really cool. I know I've known you a long time, but getting to actually hear the backstory, that's really, really cool. Yeah. And I think people are really going to enjoy this. Good. Good. Uh, Thanks for having me. And and I've had fun too. I don't, I don't talk racing a lot, you know, uh, and this was a, this was fun. So. Yeah. Thank you. Like, like Tanner said, man, we appreciate you taking, you know, it's we're almost at two hours. We appreciate you taking two hours of your Monday night to come out and talk with us. It's definitely a learning experience for me a lot. And I'll just sit here and listen. Like, 
in awe almost of some of the stories that like his dad told last week and what you were telling this week. And mm-hmm. it's just a privilege to get to learn from you guys. And we do appreciate the hell out of you taking the time to come out on the show. And I know people are going to really enjoy this. That's like he said, it's the whole point of the show is to bring in the guys that don't get to have a voice that didn't get to, you know, get the interviews on things that other podcasts or, you know, the news networks or, anything like that give those guys a voice let them tell their stories and it sounds like you got a lot more so we'll have to have you back on the show oh, yeah, you got yeah. an open invitation <laughs> yeah yeah i i feel like what uh that that i i am lucky to be able to have been a part of my dad's you know so i'm i'm a product of you know from 1966 all the way you know the span of 50 years of racing I was there, yeah. you know, 50 plus years of racing. I, I was there, you know, whether I was a kid, you know, at Des Moines and they had the brainstorm that they were going to dry the track out with a helicopter one year, you know, <laughs> uh, it, it, you know, I was there as a kid in the, in the stand and, you know, alone and, and, waiting for my dad to come to the pit gate you know so i feel very lucky that i i kind of span two generations of racing mm-hmm. that that i yeah. can say i was there oh you remember that night that so-and-so yep i was there i was there mm-hmm. and and there's not many people that can say that uh you know i got to race myself for 35 years but for the other 20 I was there mm-hmm. too, you know, so I, I've seen a lot. Yeah. Well, and those are the stories that we want to be heard because it is, it's truly amazing how many people get yeah. to say that they have witnessed or been a part of 50 years of race and especially the glory days back when your dad was racing. right. right. That's truly right. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel lucky about all that. Well, man, again, Thank you very, very much. And you have an open invitation to come back whenever you want. Good. Just let Tanner know and we'll set it up. All right. Sounds so good. Thank we you. could we could have a five part series on Mr. <laughs> Flying Ryan Dolan. Yeah, we could. <laughs> yeah, yes, we, we could. could. <laughs> we we really could. Yeah. So but all right. Thank well if you. you guys are good, yeah. I'm gonna close this out. Uh, yeah. Tanner, what's your Instagram handle? My Instagram is at underscore Tanner Allen underscore. You can actually search race car driver. My name will come up. I did that. So it's easier for people to find me. And also, please, if you enjoy this show, please share it. Leave us a review, comment, anything that helps us grow and help get these incredible stories shared. Yeah. Help spread the word. We appreciate it. We'll catch you guys next week. Thank you. Thank you, sir.